So it truly came down honestly to the individual and the time that they take to educate their clients, or are they just rushing to get through the next transaction? And I think that's common in any uh, field, regardless of the category that we're in. So that's kind of the myth, I guess I would say I'm trying to bust as a mortgage agent to be yeah. able to go through and take but you know that, that shows a lot of maturity because sometimes people they will take these generalizations of like oh like bankers bankers are not bad just like yes there are bad ones there are individuals who are bad but you shouldn't like put them all in one broad category and be like yeah. it's not true right so I kind of baited you there you didn't take the bait I was like oh you're not you're not I'm not taking I'm not going <laughs> on that road Scott like you can't you can't trick me the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Christina Pentlachuk. She's a mortgage broker with Mortgage Alliance based out of Southern Ontario. And she's one of the amazing brokers in our 10 loans a month academy. She's been with us actually since she got into the mortgage business two and a half years ago. She was a bank specialist for 24 years in the banking world. She was a mortgage specialist for the last four years, a top mortgage specialist. And she thought the transition would be super easy. Be like, oh, I'll become a mortgage broker. You know, it can't be that hard. Turned out that it was more difficult than she thought, but she definitely took to it quickly. And now she's absolutely crushing it in terms of her production over the last couple of years. So just seen her continue to grow. So that's awesome. So she shares a little bit of advice on that. If you are a banker to kind of to can help you. She talks about how in the last year she hired a client care specialist, how she was able to only spend an hour and a half to do that. So literally three interviews and done. And she got somebody awesome. And she shares some really great tips on how they trained this person. So she got this new person and then she's got them up to speed quickly. And she said, you know, the real test of a great client care person is when their names start showing up in the Google reviews, you know that your clients are loving them too. And so she said, that's been amazing. And then today on Ask the Experts, I have Reuven from Dita.ca, and we're talking about this concept in psychology called the peak end rule and how if you understand this and apply it to your mortgage process, you can create a better experience, create more referrals. I have a fantastic conversation with him about this. And finally, I wanna give a huge shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. So we've got a title sponsor for the Island Mortgage Brokering Show and the entire network. And the guys at Finmo and Lendesk have been amazing to work with, which is cool that they're sponsoring us. But this was a big decision for us to decide who we would partner with because we had a lot of options. And honestly, when I looked at the tech that they had, I was like, this stuff is head and shoulders above what I saw that was out there. And we use it at our own brokerage because it's really easy to use. You know, it's quick for agents to learn. It's easy for clients. It's got this smart docs feature. So it basically does mortgage application, document collection and submission all on a single platform. And it is very, very smooth. And it's also integrated with Lender Spotlight. So you don't know what that is. That's a tool for basically searching all the lender guidelines and all the lender rates. It's very powerful and basically saves you time. At the end of the day, you want something that's gonna be easy for you to use, less friction, and it's gonna save you time. And Finmo does that. So if you wanna check them out, finmo.ca slash ILMB. You can literally get set up in a couple of minutes. Check it out. And uh, thanks again for checking out this episode. Hey, Christina, welcome to the show. Awesome. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business. Sure. Yeah. So uh, for me, I'm a country girl at heart and my husband and I, we've got three beautiful kids. They're our center of the universe. We really live for them. So we love to be able to do activities that engage the kids. So in the summertime, you can kind of find us boating, water skiing, wakeboarding, all that kind of fun stuff. And the wintertime, we do a lot of snow sports activities. So skiing and snowboarding in there. So it's great because we get to be side by side with kids all day having fun. So that's great. Work-wise, I'm a mortgage agent for Mortgage Alliance and have been for the last two and a half years. So that's when I kind of got into the industry. And I live and work in the Southern Ontario region. 
and I have amazing client advisor that uh, helps support me and a newly hired fulfillment officer supporting me as well. And so I was fortunate that last year I've doubled my business from the year before. And so far this year, I'm on target to triple my business from last year. Right. Yeah. You're doing amazing. And previously to this, where did you come from before being a mortgage broker? Yeah. So 25 years in the banking world and thought that this was a lot of great material to be able to support the transition. And before I left, I was four and a half years specifically as a bank mortgage specialist. So I thought it'd be kind of easy, but uh, to my surprise, it was, it was a lot more challenging. not what you expected at first, right? You were like, this is a little different. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. A lot more that I still needed to learn in the industry, which it's been a phenomenal ride. And of course, you know, learning to be able to manage a business as well. Right. And run a team and stuff. We'll talk about that in a bit, but how you've had to grow that out. Okay. So that's super cool. Yeah. So before we dive into your story, I'd love to ask about a quote that's had an impact in your life for business. I love quotes. And so is there a quote that's really impacted you? And then follow up question to that is yeah. how have you applied that somewhere? It could be business, could be just personal life. Yeah, for sure. So I'd probably say there's tons of them that resonate, but Winston Churchill's success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. That would be, I think, my most favorite. And really, it's so applicable, I think, to our mortgage environment as well, because, you know, our success is always a moving target for those of us that want to be able to grow and kind of keep leveling up that ante, right? We want to be able to improve on efficiencies and continue to make it a little bit of a better process. And challenges come along the way, always in our industry. Yeah. And, you know, we have lots of ups and downs that are there, but we always need that extra courage to be able to kind of continue on that process because it's just a little speed bump in the road. So, right. You're very well spoken. So, can you think of an area where you've had something, either a speed bump or a failure, but now you're like, okay, actually, there was a lesson in it for me, you know, because I always find that some of my best lessons come from things that don't work as opposed to things right. that do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I feel like I have an absolute ton of them <laughs> um, and they're all learning moments. So typically each one ends up with me putting a process in place to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And there'll be little things like just being able to create a new templated email that puts in something there so I don't make that same mistake twice. So for an example, it would just be, here's just even just a little one, it is forgetting to tell clients that property taxes and Revenue Canada taxes have to be paid up to date if we're going for an A lender, right? Because they typically don't want to pay those items out with that. And I was going through this process with a client and I hadn't mentioned that and we originally didn't need the notice of assessment. Then the lender wanted the notice of assessment. Then we found out there was revenue. They hadn't completed their taxes. When the accountant prepared the taxes for them to get it done for the deal, the accountant told them how much they owed. So they paid that. But by the time it actually got filed with Revenue Canada, the client hadn't disclosed that they had received SERB payments to the accountant. And then they ended up owing more taxes. I'm like, well, you got to pay that now too. And so they were all right. Just yeah, it gets so, so complicated, right? Yeah. 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 And I find the same thing. You got to yeah. find the friction and then you're like, okay, how do I like make it work? So what did you do in order to try to mitigate that the next time? Yeah. So I have quite of an automated system with my clients for their application, their document collection. And so I have a templated email that gets sent out to them that explains how to fill that in and, you know, what kind of documents and stuff that we're looking for. So I put a highlighted section in there that literally says, if you owe any personal income taxes or personal property taxes and don't have the means to be able to pay it right now, please contact me ASAP so that we can find a solution for you as this will be a requirement for our financing. 
Yeah, and there's workarounds, but you just want to know about it early. There's ways to like, yeah. like you know, there's creative ways to do this. But okay, so what do you think has been your biggest change that you've made to your business in the last twelve months? Definitely hiring a support team. So my client care advisor I just hired in November, and my fulfillment officer I just hired last month. Okay, and so I don't know the answer to these questions, but yeah. so how did you find your client care specialist? So I used your Hired in 7 Days program, and Loren was amazing at doing all the work for me. I can tell you, it was such a smooth process and so quick. And the person she found for me is the absolute most brilliant person. <laughs> you know, we've hired a really good person when they see their name coming up continuously in your Google reviews. You know, and your my clients, clients are like, always, oh my gosh, this person's amazing, yeah. right? So when you got down, yeah. did you, how many interviews did you have at the final process? I only had three in total. I spent an hour and a half, a half an hour on each interview. And that was it. That was all I needed. Okay. So then in terms of getting that person up to speed, you hire somebody good, that's yeah. important, but how did you get them up to speed quickly? And like, what did you do to help them be useful? Yeah, I did a number of Loom video recordings so that she could be able to follow along. So we would go through something together and then I would have the Loom recording so that she could reference it again afterwards for some of the administrative functions that we wanted to be able to do. And I also mapped out the client journey process from your course as well, so that kind of highlight who's specifically responsible for what transactions. Yeah, we always say if you're going to hire somebody, if you don't have a process, man, mapped out, like it's not a good idea to hire them yet because you won't know what to get them to do. And okay, so you had a client journey mapped out, you recorded Loom videos. Are they in your office? Are they remote? Like, how do they work with you? Yeah, so I live in Ontario. She lives in BC. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So was there any part of you that was like, oh, I don't know what this whole time difference or? Not at all. Not at all. It actually works amazingly well. I'm a night hawk. She's an early riser. So even with the time difference, She's up by the time I'm ready to get going on my day. I swear she's actually up even earlier than me. So even with the time difference and we meet every day via Zoom at 1130 and we just kind of take a quick half an hour to go through what's on the docket, what status updates that we have and what we should be working on for the day. And then how did you decide you need to hire a second person? What was the tipping point? And then what is their role versus what the client care person is? Yeah. So what I was finding in the business was that as I was getting busier, I was spending a lot of time on the administration, following up with the lenders. And after that deal was approved, trying to get it across the finish line so that it closed on time. And the time that I was taking to be able to do that was taking time away from prospecting. So you get the lulls in your business. And so you had those up and down waves, mm -hmm. right? So my thought process around that was to try and even it out and not have those up and down curves quite the same. So then this person, is they full-time? Yeah, so I've hired them on a per deal basis from a fulfillment officer standpoint of view. She's already a fulfillment officer for a few other mortgage agents as yeah. well. Yeah. And she's just trying to start up her own personal mortgage business. So the neat thing is, is we kind of just have this shared mentoring type of aspect here. So she completes all the fulfillment aspect right so where from Where does she take the file approval. from you? So is it approval on? Approval on. Yeah. So she'll communicate with all the lenders to make sure that they have all of their documents. She'll communicate with the clients for any outstanding conditions and follow up with it. She'll also contact the lawyers to make sure that they've got all the update information for the closing as well so that it gets fully closed and she'll prep the audit file as well. And so how much time do you think you save per file with this? Oh, gosh. I mean, it can vary because, you know, some files self-employed yeah. with, you know, lots of doc. But so like, what would you say your sort of expected saving time for file is? I would at least say one to two hours. 
Yeah. And it adds up like, and it's yeah. one to two hour of interrupted hours. It's not like you can just sit down. It's like, it's five minutes here. It's all these little touch points that you're constantly yeah. switching between, you know, prospecting and the strategy sessions and things that you do. So what's the biggest difference between being a bank specialist and being a mortgage broker? What were some of the things that you noticed that were different about the two different roles? Yeah, great question. So I would say that one of the motivating factors specifically for me that I had made the transition was because of all the rule changes that were coming in with the stress test and all of this. So I was starting to notice that I wasn't able to help clients as often. I had to say no more often and I didn't have solutions available for them. So making that transition, it just opens up a whole other world where you can say, okay, you know, I might not be able to get this deal with an A lender, but maybe an alternate or a private lender option. So I like having the diversity of that choice and different options that are there. And it's amazing. I was kind of shocked to really find out what I didn't know as a bank mortgage specialist. And it was simple things like knowing that monoline lenders have a different penalty calculation for their fixed rate terms. Like that was a shock. That was a shock. Okay, let me ask you this. Yeah. When you were at the bank, did they ever tell you that like mortgage brokers were kind of bad? Because I've talked to other bankers where they're like, oh, those guys are all terrible. And so yeah. like, did you hear any of that or how was it? Yeah, true. And I mean, I think there's almost every profession out there. Yeah, they always badmouth each other, right? Like, yeah, like the realtors will badmouth the discount realtors, you know, but yeah. And so I knew in bank mortgage specialists industry, there was people that were really good at what they did and there was people that weren't so good. So it truly came down honestly to the individual and the time that they take to educate their clients or are they just rushing to get through the next transaction? And I think that's common in any uh, field, regardless of the category that we're in. So that's kind of the myth, I guess I would say I'm trying to bust as a mortgage agent <laughs> to be yeah. able to go through and take but you know that, what? that shows a lot of maturity because sometimes people they will take these generalizations of like, oh, like bankers, bankers are not bad. Just like, yes, there are bad ones. There are individuals who are bad, but you shouldn't like put them all in one broad category and be like, yeah. it's not true. Right. So I kind of baited you there. You didn't take the bait. I was like, oh, you're not, you're not, I'm not taking, I'm not going <laughs> on that road, Scott. Like you can't, you can't trick me. That's hilarious. Okay. So you've been in our training program. I think, when did you join? How long ago was it? I think like the day I left the bank. Right. Okay. And you've been doing amazing things. But so what's been sort of for you, maybe a couple of the big takeaways that you've had that have helped you? I would definitely say that it would be making sure you have the right system in place to be able to track the data. And so one of the things when I left the bank, I didn't take a stitch of client information with me cleanly and ethically. I left. I didn't know if it would work as a mortgage agent. I wanted to leave the door open to be able to go back, which, of course, now I never would. But <laughs> so it was really about building those lists, building that database. I had read Dustin Woodhouse's books and knowing how important that information really is and wanting to be able to put it into a database that was separate from any company. So I do use Phylogic's Expert Pro, or I'll forever know it as Door, and it is my complete CRM end-to-end -end user mm. on that program, and it's been my lifesaver. That's awesome. And when your last cohort, who's your coach? Oh, Ryan Wiley. Yeah, let me ask is what's something you picked up from Ryan? Because he's a very smart guy, so he's the 12-hour broker guy if you don't know his podcast, but so what's something you picked up yeah. from being with, in Ryan's uh, group? Yeah, the one that I was able to implement immediately and has had a massive impact already on the business is his spreadsheets. Right, and the budgeting the, stuff, right? The budgeting spreadsheets and do the Loom video to walk the client through it to explain the details. The amount of positive feedback that I get from my clients, they are in shock and awe. They're completely wowed by it and love the ability to be able to, you know, pause, repeat, 
replay that video and that content so that they can understand it and absorb it at their own pace right. and yeah and have it very clear so it was actually interesting as well because i had feedback from a lawyer that i tend to give a lot of referrals to and he goes not a single one of your clients that i get has questions about how i came to the number that they have to bring to me right for they the all final like, final yeah, right. they all know this is where the bad mouthing for the banks is because the number of times i get from a client coming from a bank doesn't understand that like i only have this much left as my down payment but they forget about the extra closing costs the land transfer taxes etc all of that is missing from it and so he has to kind of go through and educate that client about where those closing costs come from. He says, I never get that, not a single time with, with clients, anyone of your right. referrals. You know, I always think yeah. there's this concept that in NLP, show, don't tell. So whenever you can show somebody, so you're showing them, you know, with your screen sharing, you're showing them what this looks like. It sticks way better. And visual learners understand yeah. it. And if it's confusing, like you said, they can go backwards. If you're just telling them, you're just, we know this stuff cold because we do it every day, but they don't. Yeah. Right, your clients yeah. don't know these things, so that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let me ask some rapid-fire questions. You can answer with shorter answers. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? Ooh, I was adopted when I was three years old and was born in Medicine Hat, Alberta. Nice. And what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Field of Dreams. And then what's one software program other than Door? You said Door, but I'm not going to let you off the hook of that. So other than Door, <laughs> what's another program that you've found helpful? Lou. The video recording. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. And then what's one book you recommend for our listeners? So right now I am listening to Hook Point, How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World by Brendan Kane. Okay. And is it good? It is. Yeah. Okay. That one I haven't read. Elevator questions. You're in an elevator, your ideal client. I know you work with a few different niches, but you got an ideal yep. client. Pick one. How would you describe what you do? Sure. I provide customized home financing solutions that help family-oriented homeowners between the ages of 35 to 55 to leverage the equity in their home. And so I do this by focusing on improving their monthly cash flow, reducing their interest costs, and teaching them how to build generational wealth through real estate. Boom. Wow. Okay. If you go back to you know two and a half years ago and give yourself advice when you got into the mortgage business from the bank side, what would you tell yourself? So definitely start with that good system in place to be able to work your database, yeah. uh, define your target market and learn how to speak to it. So I'm still kind of learning that one because I have a few target markets brand yourself and don't be afraid to fire a client okay i'm gonna ask about that when you've had to fire a client what was the thing that made you have to fire them and then how did you do it so <laughs> sometimes you have people that come to you and say oh my gosh if anything bad can happen to me it's going to be me that it happens to and that's I what they say to you people have said that right yeah, just yeah. in general i'm sure you've heard people say yeah, that yeah. oh if anything's going to go wrong it's going to happen with me right and I really think that karma kind of follows people in their files. And I had a client, I probably should put up my red flags at that point in time. And it just seemed like there was pieces and pieces of the story that just kind of kept coming out at different points in the interaction. And it seemed like more and more documents were required. And the story seemed to change a little bit along the way. I think that was kind of to be one of those flags. And she would get very irritated and kind of aggressive in the yelling on there. And at times I just, you know what, I'm trying to do my best to be able to help you out here. And I need you to be calm and collected to be able to do that. And I probably should have fired her and I didn't. And it ended up turning. Now this has become your lesson of like, okay, don't go down that path again. Yeah. Sometimes some clients are literally like falling downstairs, getting up and falling down them again. And it's like, why are we doing this? It's just like, let's agree that there's probably someone a better fit for you. That's not me. Okay. That's good. Well, awesome. Where can people find you at Christina online? So both on Facebook and Instagram at Mortgages by Christina. 
Okay, awesome. Well, hey, it's great chatting with you. I'm excited to see that you're doing so great from the switch from banker. It was a little bit of a, hey, hold on, this is not what I expected, to now you're like crushing it and doing amazing things. So that's super cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. Hey, Reuven, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be here. So you're going to talk about something that I absolutely love this concept called the peak end rule. And I discovered it in this book called The Power of Moments by one of the Heath brothers, I can't remember which one, but it's absolutely yeah. fascinating concept and it applies so well with what you guys do. So maybe explain, if somebody doesn't know what that is, explain what it is and then we'll talk about some examples of that. Absolutely. So the Pecan Rule really speaks to our brain's ability to remember experiences. So contrary to popular belief, we don't remember everything to do with any particular experience. And when we say experience, it, it could be going on vacation, it could be shopping, it could be something that happened to you. So the pecan rule specifically says that we remember two distinct things about any experience or any event. One being the peak, and that could be a very specific moment that stood out for whatever reason. I'm sure we'll talk about some examples in a moment about any particular experience. And then almost always we remember the end. So really the tail end, how that experience really ended. Right. So, okay. So let's talk about like, give me an example of this, maybe outside of the mortgage space, and then we'll get into, I've got some thoughts on the mortgage space as well, but so like an example outside of the mortgage space, how this would play out. For sure. If anybody's ever been to Disney, or is taking their kids down to Disney. So typically we associate the experience. If you really think about what you remember, it's likely a couple things. It's likely, you know, people come back and they remember the thrill of a ride, you know, Space Mountain or anything like that. They're typical classic rides that stand out. And then they remember the end of the experience, which is, you know, going to the Orlando airport, picking up a pair of those uh, Mickey ears and getting on the plane all all happy. What you don't remember about the Disney experience is the Florida heat and the sweat and the humidity and the long, you know, one hour lineups to get on that 30 second Space Mountain ride. So again, this sort of proves that whole theory that, you know, we come out of the Disney experience or any other vacation or uh, experience with really remembering a specific peak and the end of the experience. Right. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting because it's not like if you follow up some family around, you can see they look pretty, they're standing, they're tired. The kids are complaining. You're like, on a scale of one to 10, is this the happiest place on earth really right now? And they're like, no, but you know, three months later, it's not average. It's like, Hey, you're a six most of the time. And you got a couple tens. You don't remember the sixes. You just remember the peak. What was that high moment for you? And then the end, it's very fascinating and how, you know, it ties into what we do. So then let's talk about specifically how that ties into how you guys help, you know, navigate and improve the end part of the experience. Absolutely. So when it comes to a mortgage or a home buying experience, I think everybody knows if you've done it yourself, it's an emotional roller coaster. And as you just mentioned, Scott, not every moment is going to be a 10 out of 10 in terms of something that you actually want to remember. In fact, the journey is full of agony in terms of stress, in terms of having to, for example, pull together a whole bunch of documents, have conversations and sometimes face realities that you may not concede that, you know, are happening to you. So the journey, you know, has these ups and downs. And if you think about, you know, someone typically going through like a mortgage application journey, say your first time buyer, you know, the first peak can typically be when you find out what you can afford. And sometimes 
it's either going to be a positive peak or it's going to be a negative peak in terms mm-hmm. of either you're happy and you know you can actually afford a lot more that you had imagined or you had envisioned or no like you know there's some kind of stress test or something that is now impacting your ability to realize your home ownership dream then there's a lot of different peaks and valleys in terms of okay now I got to gather my documents and sometimes that's a lot of work right and that's not usually a peak for most people gathering. that's right, not a peak right. that's like but it oh, is, that's the opposite of a peak Exactly. It's a grind. It's a lot of work. And then all of a sudden you've got a little bit of a peak, at least for most people is that, Hey, you know what? I've got a deal for you. You've got an approval from such and such lender, which, you know, for most people, this is, I mean, great news. They get the uh, commitment letter. And the next thing that happens typically, and this is where we come in with our businesses, you got to go and actually tie everything together and close the transaction. And that last mile is critical because, again, there's going to be a lot of peaks and valleys in that closing process altogether. But most importantly, you want to hit it out of the park in terms of that last impression, that end of the experience, because that, again, is what your client is going to remember at the end of the day. That's what they're going to associate that experience. And that's what they're going to associate your level of service, your professionalism, your reputation, your hard work with. Yeah, totally. You know, sometimes I felt like some mortgages are literally like falling downstairs, getting up, falling down them again. As mortgage brokers, we really need to try to do as much as we can to improve the process. And it's crazy to me that brokers don't do everything in their power to influence. I don't want to say the word control. I would probably use control, but I'm going to use the word influence who your client uses on the legal end. If it's a mess, they're going to blame you. And here's what I've also found is that whenever there's a mistake or error or something comes up, everybody blames everybody else. It's not like, oh, the lawyer's going to point at you. It's like, who cares? Let's just make sure that the process is as smooth as possible, as transparent as possible. And I love how you guys, with your virtual signing for you know closings and the communication, literally, you know everything that's going on. Like, there's no step that you don't know what's happening at all times. And sadly, it's not true of the vast majority of you know firms that are out there. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think one of the key points is, like you said, Scott, is to make the process a lot more transparent. So as a broker, at the very least, you have visibility. It doesn't feel like you've handed your, you know, most precious asset, your client, the client that you've built a relationship with, the client who you've worked so hard for. And at that point, you don't feel like that experience is going to be as predictable as you want it to be. Because again, it's going to be something that that client associates with you and not necessarily, you know, whoever's helping him towards the tail end, or we call it the last mile of the deal. The other aspect of it is, you know, what we like to call the high five closing, which is basically goes back to your points caught around you know, how do you make that last moment feel so great that like, hey, you know what, we've done everything, we've crossed every T, we've dotted every I, the funds have been released, you can realize your dream of, you know, moving into your new home, Mr. or Mrs. Client, and at the end of the day, make the entire team look great um, Mm -hmm. in front of that client. And it really requires a different level of collaboration, transparency, and teamwork to have that unified front and a commitment to a really, really great experience in front of that client. Right. And one of the things that I love that you guys do, and once you told me this, I just, I geek out about this. The fact that when the funds are transferred, okay, it's good. You send a message to the client saying, here's the keys to the lockbox. Here's the password. And then you also notify the broker, the realtor. Talk about an end moment. Like literally, it's like, this is what it was all for. All the work. I'm getting my keys. I'm so excited. If you as the mortgage broker use that as a key moment, shoot them a text send them a video, send them an email. Hey, I hear you got your keys. Congrats. You know, I reach out to you in a couple of days. Like you were literally missing like that alone for me is like, 
that is killer. Like I love that. And I think that if brokers embrace that, their clients would be like, holy crap, my mortgage broker is awesome. With most closing companies, you can't do that. You don't know what's going on. You're like, are the money's there? I don't know. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. So, okay, let's wrap this up. So just to, to recap this, so peak end rule, somebody's thinking about this. How do mortgage brokers do a better job of, you know, paying attention to the peak end rule concept? So the first one is obviously awareness, being aware that really it is the peaks. And sometimes you can't control the peaks. The peaks are going to be a little bit different for every client. But really, you know, what we're talking about here is the end. The last mile makes all the difference. The entire process could be amazingly smooth, go well, you've got a great relationship. And then, you know, it really goes downhill towards the end. So big part of it is really a be conscious of last impressions and the last impressions are going to be the ones that are ingrained in your client's mind. And B, be able to set your own journey and your own process where you are actively engaged in those moments. So you have more say, you understand what happens, you can set your client's expectations as to what's going to happen during the closing process. And most importantly, be there for them in that last minute. And again, like that whole concept of a high five closing, be there as part of the celebration. If things don't go well, be there to iron out. To make it right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just make sure that you know, at the end, everybody walks away with a win-win in their minds. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you guys are listening to this, go check out dedid.ca slash ILMB. I'm telling you, try this out. Yeah, I can't imagine once you use this, that you're not going to be like, first of all, why didn't I think of this? Second of all, this is a great opportunity to create a better customer experience. So, and you get $100 off your client will the first one they use. So dedid.ca slash ILMB. Thank you, Ruben, man. I love what you guys are doing and keep crushing it. Thanks, Scott. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.